Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Emily Collins to discuss community-based marketing. Welcome, Emily. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Emily, brands like Peloton and Glossier and others like Sephora have definitely brought, let's say, like renewed energy to community-based marketing. But I might be asking a basic question. What do we mean by community? That's a good question, um, because like so many things in our marketing lexicon, the term community has become sort of like a catch-all for lots of different types of things. Mm-hmm. And customer communities have been around for a really long time. I mean, we've been literally writing about this for probably a decade now. I'm one in a long line of analysts <laughs> that have written about customer communities. And for a long time, it meant something very specific, which is you invest in a community platform and you kind of launch this website that people log into and talk to other customers. Um, in the B2B space, it's it's very well known, user communities, developer communities, or you know, forums and things like that. In the B2C space, a lot of times these are based on like service um, type things. Yep. So call deflection, um, where people can ask questions about the product and calling the customer service line. And And so when I think about what a community is, it's really that peer-to-peer interaction. So if you're doing community-based marketing, you're really all about fostering that customer-to-customer interaction. And what has changed, and we might get to this a little bit later, is like the manifestation of community. So for a long time, it was like this built specific website. You like go to it, you log in. And now there are lots of things that brands can do to foster these interactions, like ratings and reviews, Mm. um, Facebook and private Facebook groups, which is really what Peloton relies on, um, or even on social channels where people might be commenting off and sounding off in the comments and replying to other people. Um, And so when I think about what a community is, that is the crux. It's not just the brand to customer relationship. It's that customer to customer interaction. And you sort of said this in your answer. This is not a a new phenomenon today. It's just a different manifestation. So who has been doing this historically? I mean, Southwest Airlines, USAA has like a very Mm -hmm. rich community. Um, A lot of the software companies like IBM have multiple developer and user communities. And I think now a lot of B2C brands are sort of getting into the game because a community-based relationship sounds much better than like a customer who's just transacting with you. You know, it implies that you have shared values, that it is like something bigger than yourself. The meaning behind community and kind of what it infers about customer relationships is really desirable for brands. Yep. So let's talk about what it means to be doing community or community-based marketing today. So there's then this transition where it's not just a website. It's not just some place you go to. But how has this evolved over time? It feels, too, like how has the role evolved? Mm-hmm. Remember, there used right, to be this yes. community manager job. Right. Probably there still are. But what you described sounds a lot more complex yes. than tagging someone as a community manager. Or responding having, to a tweet or something right, of that nature. Right. Yeah. So – The fundamentals of community building, I think, are the same. Like you need someone who's going to build and manage the community. But brands are using it differently. So brands like Outdoor Voices and Glossier are sort of building their brand North Star around this um, collective doing things outdoors in the case of Outdoor Voices or Glossier. It's like a collective creation of the beauty products that you're going to want to use that you know you'll like. 
the DTC brands especially are sort of really big on this trend of like, you know, we aren't just a brand that's selling you something. Like we're selling you an experience. And I think that community, those community values play into that. We had a podcast on that note with James McQuivey and Anjali Lai, and we talked about meaning, which you, you used the word meaning before and I heard it, in that people are going to these places or becoming part of them because they're looking for meaning and perhaps the larger forums have been devoid of meaning, Facebook at large as an example, and they're finding these digital communities of, of people. Do you agree, A, and then B, I guess I'm just making a comment that that feels like that's what was missing 10 years ago. It didn't feel like there was much of a need to identify mm-hmm. um, or, this is a multi-part question, was there a need and it just wasn't as strong as it is now? So, uh, I mean, there's if you just go back to thinking about like the commercials that Apple did where it's like, I'm an Apple person. Mm. So I I do think that there are certain types of brands that people identify with. You have like Harley Davidson where, you know, you're a Harley person. You get that brand tattooed on your arm. Like you have sort of this like community of people where you can kind of like lock eyes with them and you know that you're the same kind of person as they are. Um, So there's that connective tissue there in the brand. So I certainly think there have been lots of brands, iconic brands, Mm -hmm. where it's more than just, oh, this fits my need in the moment or functionally this works for me. There's like a... Identity. Identity surrounding it. You know, maybe five years ago, everyone wanted to be a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. Like, it was kind of ridiculous, actually. You know, like, it's like, I just don't think that this is a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a commodity. Um, But I do, you know, looking at their research, it does seem like there's sort of this... um, like need desire to connect to things. And, and a lot of this, I think in some ways comes from like, there's so many choices Mm. for consumers today. I mean, your need can be met by a traditional brand, like 15 digitally native brands. Like you may even fall into a niche. That's like a very specific DTC design for you. So I'm not sure how much it has changed From a consumer perspective, I mean, certainly Mm -hmm. the research has showed that there's sort of evolving attitudes and needs. Um, But I do think that brands are all trying to figure out how do I break through the noise? Like, how do I capture a customer's focused attention? And I think in some of this, these ways, like connecting with them on a more emotional level or kind of their identity is a way for brands to kind of break through that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this in the Glossier example, but I think something also that we touched on with James and Anjali was this notion of co-creation and that that's important, right? Consumers want to be part of the building of the thing. um, And so therefore you're, you're building a deeper connection Mm -hmm. as a brand with your customer base too. And and there's also sort of this like, the trend around experimentation, like consumers are much more willing to try new things. They don't regret trying new things, even if it didn't work out. And on like the digitally native side or these disruptive brands, there's an urgency that they present in terms of their marketing and their branding that kind of piques your curiosity um, of like, oh, well, maybe I should try this. And, you know, maybe I do identify with this. I mean, it's just amazing, said with a lot of sarcasm, how many brands are almost all sold out of their items, isn't it? Or that's just back in stock. My gosh. Right. They must be doing amazingly well. (laughs) (laughs) But how does this play out for brands who haven't really tiptoed into these Mm -hmm. waters today? Or maybe they have. um, 
how should brands be thinking about this, knowing we're sort of seeing potentially a resurgence of mm-hmm. this or its core to the marketing efforts of these, you know, DTC brands? The weighing of the risk reward, because you have to do this well and it has to be genuine, authentic to your brand. So that's that's a lot to unpack, I would imagine. And, and it's actually really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't just something that you're like, oh, you know what, let's just put, you know, this new person on this job. Let's create a private Facebook group. It'll go viral and we'll have a community. Building a community is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're investing in a community platform and building something that you own or you're trying to leverage maybe where your customers are already having conversations and be a part of that conversation. Um, And this is where there's a lot of trade-offs brands have to think about when they're building a community. It's like, do we want to go where the numbers are? But is that even a place where customers want us to be present? Um, Just because you have a cohort of people who can align or connect on a similar topic doesn't mean they want to talk about it. And I think that's where a lot of our social technographics can come in and help brands start to uh, start to look and say, hey, like, do do our customers even have an appetite for this? Um, And it is risky, right, because you can invest a lot of effort into building this and then people don't really do it. And so that's where, you know, companies um, that have community platforms are helpful because they have lots of services and playbooks right. and things like that. They sort of have like, this is the path you take. And and that's where you have kind of divergent paths. You know, so you have someone like Sephora that has built this beauty insider community and, you know, their uh, beauty is a very uh, fervent category, I guess. You know, people like to talk about beauty. And so in the community, you can share tips. You can connect with people that have like similar interests or issues or um, skin types as you. So you can like learn about it. And um, the the brand as a result, because they own it, can capture a lot of really interesting information Mm -hmm. about their customers and what their customers want. So it becomes not just a place where customers connect with each other, but also where the brand can say, hey, we want your feedback. We want to pull you into the fold. It kind of makes you feel like an insider. Mm -hmm. And then the other option is, you know, you have brands like Peloton, which have literally said, We don't want to kind of force our customers to engage with us in a very specific way. We notice that they're already creating these groups on their own. So we decided to kind of capitalize on that and be there with them. You know, they give up certain things like control over the interface, data Mm. collection, the feature functionality on Facebook private groups is not what you would get from a bespoke platform. Um, But Facebook is also investing in kind of admin controls and trying to figure that out. I mean, if you listen to any of their earnings calls or their kind of prospectuses, they're talking a lot about where the private groups is where things are going to happen. And so I imagine that, you know, they they might be investing more in that in the future. You touched on this idea that not every brand has the capability to do this or should do it. And I was surprised in the research that you did and using our technographics data that only 18%, it looks like, of adult online adults said they had actually engaged in a community and message board. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's low? Do you think they always think about what you just described as an example? Do you think a person would actively say, oh, I think I engaged in a community with my Peloton friends? Because that seemed awfully low as a, as something that would appeal to a marketer saying, I got to hedge my bets that only 18% of adults said they've actually done done Mm -hmm. this. Well, I, I think that for our technographics data, we kind of look at the social network separately from Mm -hmm. that. So I imagine that some of this, um, like the community 
functionality is actually baked into. Like, I'm sure that most people that have a Peloton and are part of that group think, oh, I'm interacting with my Peloton friends on Facebook. They're not going to say community board. Right. Um, But it does kind of bring up a really important point that with community, scale is not necessarily a measure of success. It's the quality of the conversations as well. Um, And so that is something that we've been writing about for a really long time, which is this isn't like your typical marketing initiatives. Um, And and in some cases, it's really hard to measure the ROI of a community. Um, If it's a call deflection community, you can kind of point to we've saved this much time, issue resolution. But when you think about brand engagement and the objectives that a lot of B2C brands have around building that feeling and that community of customers, I think it's a little bit harder to measure. So what's the guidance there? How do you measure something that feels a bit amorphous, right? And how should marketers think about this as like a complementary set of of data to, you know, maybe some of your typical harder metrics? So some of it has to do with like really as a brand defining what your objective is with the community. Like you know, I think saying like, oh, well, we just want to build a community of customers. It's like, well, why? Is that something that your customers have asked for? Is that something that you're seeing happening and you want to be a part of the conversation? And why do you want to be a part of the conversation? Um, So, you know, there are companies like Olympus, which is the camera company, and they have an online community. It's a branded online community. And it's really about celebrating the art of photography. And so the goal of the community, while yes, they're getting feedback on some of their products and they're kind of seeing what customers' questions they have and what they're conversing about. It's really about sharing and celebrating your photography and kind of the result of the camera. So they're getting a lot of um, brand engagement. People are kind of talking about why they love their camera, but they're also celebrating the result of it and the art of photography. So one piece of that is just having a really strong business objective and like choosing one primary objective. So that way you can at least focus your efforts. Um, And then the other is incorporating longer term metrics like customer satisfaction or brand perception and using some of your brand metrics in sort of that measurement. Um, You know, in my conversations with community platforms, and this is one of those sort of smushy areas in terms of like, how do you measure? Because a lot of it comes down to the objective and how brands measure success in these types of things. It feels like a lot of the brands you have mentioned are higher end brands where people have made some sort of investment, both financial and then of course of their time. It seems that that might be a reason as a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy a bit. It's like I've spent, I'm putting a lot of my financial investment mm-hmm. here. So it's nice to engage it as a way to feel better too about the investment that I've made. But I imagine it's got to be true for some other types of experiences or brands as well. And that's where brands of all kinds can start, could start to explore other types of community like ratings and reviews and things right. like that, where it doesn't cost a lot of money to do some research to see where and if your customers are conversing right. in, in places, you know, are there Facebook groups? Are there Reddit threads? Uh, looking at ratings and reviews, are people commenting on those? Is there a conversation happening? You know, so in your Instagram posts, are they primarily just commenting on the brand or are there people that are kind of interacting with each other? And then you can kind of say, well, what are those, what's the quality or like what's the content of those conversations? Are they asking each other questions that, you know, a community would help them answer or do we just have an FAQ page on our website mm-hmm. kind of thing? Do influencers come into the mix here in any way, shape, or form? 
I think that there is quite a convergence um, of influencers, community, and loyalty happening right now. Um, I haven't looked at that um, too much, but Ryan Skinner uh, on our on my team is is kind of studying that influencer phenomenon, and we've certainly had some conversations about that. I think that influencers depending on how the brand defines that, certainly can be stewards of community, um, but they also have their own communities that they're building and nurturing. So more to come on that. Yeah. Let's talk about the dark side of community. Okay. <laughs> I think I read in the research that, and we know this, we all know this to be true as consumers of the interwebs, that they can become uncivil at times. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think maybe Jen, you were starting to talk about some risk earlier. I mm -hmm. presume that is one of the primary risks here is controlling the conversation, which you don't really want to do. It's a kind of anti-control environment. And also just some of the discourse on online is not so positive. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at uh, an industry that has sort of exited the community business is the media industry. Hmm. For a long time, every news website had comments right. and threaded comments, and they had communities within their mm -hmm. news organization. And ultimately, one by one, they all got rid of the comments um, because it was just untenable. Um, they couldn't manage it. And this is where community management becomes really important. And thinking through, you know, most online communities um, start with people that work at the organization threading content, they may invite some super customers to join first early and start creating that content. So in some cases, there's incentives involved in kind of seeding the community with content. And over time, you want to take the ratio of kind of incentivized content right. to organic content and, and make sure that the organic content is re is is winning. Um, because ultimately, at that point, the community becomes self-sustaining. But Yes, there's always a risk of unsavory conversations or getting out of hand, and that's where kind of strong community management practices, ground rules, moderation, making sure that if someone, you know, you have like rules around violating the community guidelines and things like that. So I just asked a question about, you know, inf the convergence of maybe communities and influencers, but it also seems like potentially there could be a convergence of communities and loyalty programs. So is that, are you seeing that today? Have you been having conversations with brands about that topic? I've definitely been having conversations with brands about that. Um, I would say that right now, like one of the only use cases in the market is really Sephora and the beauty insider community, which is part of the loyalty program now. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is that, to me, lots of brands are starting to think about how they can incorporate community building into their programs because that becomes um, a value that they're delivering to their customers that isn't just another discount. And so, um, you know, one of the trends that I've noticed is that lots of companies are sort of talking about their loyalty programs in new ways. Like they're talking about them as membership programs versus mm. a loyalty program to kind of say you're going to get all of these benefits as being a member, as a part of this in a sense, like a community. It's bigger than just, oh, it's a marketing program that we're going to deliver you discounts every quarter or whatever yeah, the value less, is. Less yeah. transactional. In less nature. transactional. Yeah. Now you can kind of be a be a part of something mm -hmm. um, that it has access. There's exclusive stuff. Right. But in terms of literal manifestation of a community within a side of loyalty program, right now, you know, the best example that I have found is Sephora. Sephora 
sort of a traditional brand compared mm-hmm. to a lot of the DDC brands that we've been talking about. Are there other tr- more traditional brands that are doing this well or kind of keeping pace with the DDC brands in a community sense? In terms of keeping pace, I wouldn't even say that DTC brands are like the gold standard of community. I think that in a lot of ways, they're just using community as sort of their brand value. Got it. Um, so they're kind of bringing mm. community into the fold as like how they define themselves as a brand or it's a, an element of their brand that ideally will attract people to it. Um, the way that they're approaching it is a little bit different than traditional brands who have more relied on, you know, the purpose-built brand-owned community. So I think in some ways that's kind of opening up some new doors for brands to experiment and try things. So a lot of the companies I've talked to recently on this topic are really thinking about how to test and learn in like a closed Facebook group. Mm. Um, You know, obviously there's some risk to that because what if it takes off and then you want to control it, then you have to kind of invite everyone to move over. um, And you're sort of at the whim of whatever Facebook is doing and where they're taking their product. But uh, I know Starbucks, I think two years ago, had like a viral pumpkin spice latte group. <laughs> it was like a place for people who loved fall to celebrate fall. And, you know, they they were like, we spent no money on it. So it's like a good story, but also a cautionary tale because I don't want everyone to just think, oh, this is like the easiest thing we can do. Like, let's right. just put it on our Q1 plan. Right. Um, I think that it's more of a there are opportunities to kind of test and learn in this space. Um to see, to see how it works for your brand and to try it out without having to kind of invest fully in a platform. And there are brand objectives where, you know, we would suggest investing in a platform. You know, if you have very specific functional requirements, like you want, you know, forums and you want call deflection and things like that, there are certain objectives where it makes sense. Or if you're a financial services company, you may want a more secure environment than Facebook because people aren't necessarily going to want to talk about their finances on Facebook, maybe. Um, so. so as brands and marketers see this phenomenon happening in the marketplace and they, too, are considering maybe this should be a part of my Q1 or Q2 2020 plan. Yeah. What are the things that they should be kind of pressure te- testing against? I mean, the first thing to do is figure out, is it already happening within your customer base? What is your audience's social profile? How, like, how are they already interacting with social media? Do they, are they already having conversations about your brand? Where? Do they want you involved, right? Do they, do they, are they going to invite you into the conversation where they want you to broker it? Or is this something where you can observe it and maybe pull pieces of it into your marketing, but ultimately consumers want to have their own conversations about you? Um, So, Figuring out what is their social profile, how open are they to engaging with your brand in this way? Are they already having conversations about your brand? What are the what is the topic of those conversations? Um, and then what's your objective? Like, why do you want to build a community? Um, it might be for customer service, which is a very standard one. It may be more for getting some insight and feedback, but you have to be careful with that because. If the goal is to create peer-to-peer, you can't just go in and continually ask them for things. You have to kind of think about that more strategically. Uh, Building customer advocacy, maybe uh, doing some co-creation, kind of bringing customers into the fold in that way. And then figuring out how much control do you really want to have over the community. And this is where, you know, you're going to have to make some hard choices or tough decisions about 
you know, do you want to kind of go where the numbers are or do you want to invest in something bespoke? Um, obviously, you have more control over a platform that you purchase um, in terms of the experience that you deliver, where it is. And, and frankly, a lot of these community platforms are now investing in functionality that embeds community elements within the experience. So it's not just a, a single website that you have to go to. You can pull that content. You can pull some of the widgets and things into the experience. Um, so the trade-off is cost and control for maybe um, more scale initially, but less control over the experience. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.